1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to This is the Place, a podcast series from The Common Magazine on the New Books Network. The Common publishes literature and art with a modern sense of place. I'm Emily Everett, managing editor of the magazine and host of the channel. Today we'll be talking to Shuba Sunder about her story, A Very Full Day, which appeared in issue 22 of The Common. Shuba Sunder's debut story collection, Boomtown Girl, won the St. Lawrence Book Award and is forthcoming from Black Lawrence Press. She has published stories and essays in New Letters, The Common, Narrative Magazine, Michigan Quarterly Review, Catapult, Crazy Horse, and elsewhere. Her fiction has received honorable mention in the Best American Short Stories, won the Crazy Horse Fiction Prize and Narrative 30 Below, and been shortlisted for the Flannery O'Connor Award, the Hudson Prize, and the New American Fiction Prize. She is a recipient of the Massachusetts Cultural Council Fellowship and the City of Boston Artist Fellowship. She teaches creative writing at Grub Street and at Massachusetts College of Art and Design. Shuba Sunder, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Emily. Could you set the scene for our conversation? Tell us where you're living and calling from. I'm calling from
1: Boston, where I live. Um, I'm in my... Uh, house right now in a quiet corner. And I can see that we still have snow on the ground from last week's storm. And, you know, I've lived in the Northeast now for over 20 years. And being from the tropics, I still find the winters kind of exotic. Um, I love to complain about them, but I do find them, you know, continually interesting. Okay. I'm
0: glad to hear that. Yeah, this one has been hanging around still this winter. <laughs> I would love to start off with a reading from your story. Would you read just the first paragraph for us? Sure.
1: So the title of the story is A Very Full Day. He was, locals agreed, the quintessential Kaveri Naga retiree. In his wool silk trousers, navy blue sweater, and plaid scarf wrapped tight about the ears, C.K. Rajkopal, former Air India pilot, had a lithe figure as he strode down 8th Main. On his feet he wore the ergonomic shoes his son had brought him from America. Designed for trekking, or for Indian sidewalks, his son had said. The shoes had, for the past weeks, felt heavy, like stones tied to his ankles. But this morning, strangely, it was no longer so. Perhaps his leg muscles had needed time to adjust to their new load. Perhaps he was rejuvenated by the winter air. Whatever the reason, as he made his way to Wadayar Lake, Past the provision store and the barber shop, still shuddered at this early hour. Past the temple and the sugar cane stall, Mr. Rajgopal experienced a lightness, as if the ground were falling away from him and he were floating, gliding over the pavement stones and under the gulmohars through clouds of golden dust churned by the municipal workers' brooms. Thank
0: you for reading that. For our listeners who may not have read your story yet, would you describe what the piece is about?
1: Sure. Um, it is a, a day in the life of this curmudgeonly old man um, who's a widower. And, you know, we see him go about his his chores, his social engagements. And, uh, you know, throughout the, the day, he's trying to, you know, make a connection, uh, approach this woman, a fellow um Member of the senior center in the neighborhood of Bangalore, where they live, and you know he can't quite bring himself to acknowledge that he that he fancies her.
0: I would love to hear how you came to write this story, like what inspired you to start work on it or, or how it came together in the early days?
1: Well, it's part of my collection, um, Boomtown Girl, which is uh, you know, comprises stories all set in Bangalore, my my hometown. And you know, I wrote this late in the in the collection where when I um, was aware that I really didn't have a story with an elderly character, and I wanted, um, you know, the main characters and all the stories to represent um, a variety of ages. And I, as you know, as for all the stories in the collection, I really wanted um, a sense of place in the story, a sense of Bangalore. Uh, and to be more specific, the the Bangalore that that I grew up in, the Bangalore of the the nine, late eighties, nineties, early two thousands, um, you know, which is very different from the Bangalore of today, because um, there's been a lot of development, a lot of you know, sweeping change in the sweeping changes in the landscape, the culture of the city. And Mr. Rajgopal is very much inspired by um, both my own late grandfather, um, who you know had these these routines, very you know, set <laughs> routines, and you know very strong opinions and ideas about you know what was right and what he liked to do and what he refused, what he would refuse to try. And uh, so, inspired both by him and uh, you know other members of uh, a senior center, which was uh, a place that sadly has only just closed. The pandemic ended up shutting it down for good. Um, but it was this you know very lively place where um, you know retirees in the in the neighborhood could uh, could gather and you know there were there were activities throughout the day for them my mother used to volunteer there it was very much a a bangalore institution mm-hmm. yeah so that was that was the inspiration
0: yeah, I remember when I first read this story uh, in the submission queue, it felt like such a great fit for the common because that setting is so specific, you know, this community of retirees, and they have these rituals and routines and, and sort of those small excitements of, of an astronomy talk or splurging on an ice cream. Um, can you talk a little bit more about putting that world together? I mean, it's just, it's so vivid and it feels so lived in.
1: Um, well, that part was was easy for me. I never gave it much thought. I mean, it's just, uh, it's just what I remember. Very vividly, mm-hmm. and of course, you know, um, both what I remember and what I imagine, um, but based, you know, on my own experience and, and what I've seen. Um, I think, uh, you know, there, it's it's impossible to write about uh, Bangalore without sort of engaging with its past as um, a small a small town, you know, kind of like backwater. Almost, mm-hmm. uh, it was it was never you know a a, a huge city like like Delhi or, or Bombay or Calcutta. Um, it was you know this, uh, this a small a small city almost like a town um, with a very temperate climate for South India and you know lots of lots of trees, uh, kind of you know peaceful, a, a place where people you know retreated. Um, a place where a lot of people went to retire actually Mm. so I mean it's very hard to write about Bangalore without you know acknowledging that past um, and the present which is you know now it's the Silicon Valley of South India and you know like Microsoft and other you know global tech companies um, uh, all have a very large presence there and you know it's completely Mm. changed but the, the the physical, the physical landscape, and you know the the culture, the the feeling of the place. Yeah, I really
0: like the 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 introduction of this sort of um, Western style ice cream shop that's very expensive, and the ret- retirees are sort of like, oh well, we don't we don't go there, you know. Right. Uh, it really sets up that dichotomy. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, that was very much part of my growing up in um, in Bangalore. It was very exciting when the first uh, KFC came to to the city. You know, that happened when I was in high school. <laughs> Um yes, so you know, very expensive. I mean, I mean really only accessible to um, a very um, you know small section of, of society, but still significant. Yeah, that is
0: a very big transformation and, and not a lot of time, yeah. I had so many different reactions to this main character throughout the course of the story. You called him a curmudgeon. He's very rigid and proud and he's like, you know, maybe a little bit unlikable sometimes. And sometimes I wanted to laugh at him and then other times I felt sorry for him. And I was also still always rooting for him to succeed at these small things that that matter so much to him. You know, the stakes for him just feel so high. Um, I I mean, you said he was like vaguely built off your grandfather. I wonder if you could just say more about like creating that character. And also, I mean, you know, I, I know that no one likes to talk about creating unlikable characters because, you know, everyone's unlikable in some way or another, but I just wonder, you know, did you work on that balance a lot or, or think a lot about how people would react to this character?
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't see him as, as unlikable at all. I mean, I, I see him as, as interesting and as someone who, um, you know, wow. has, uh, has a very like set exterior that he likes to present to the world. Um, and that he believes in himself you know and but of course he has these um these hidden in these these insecurities these desires deep down that you know contradict the image of himself that um, he presents to the world and also um, his own self-image um and i think that was one of the the lines of, of tension that i that I found, um, you know, as I, as I kept writing the the story and him that, you know, in every scene, there's this contradiction between, you know, what he thinks is going on and what's going on internally. And, you know, I just, I, I just tried to lean into that uh, as much as I could, you know, so the, the reader knows more about him than, than he does. And as soon as I, yeah, and as soon as I, you know, realized that that was, that was possible with this character. Um, it became you know very I wouldn't say easy, but certainly very interesting to you know keep exploring him and putting him in these different situations like he goes um uh, on a walk with his friend and we can see you know the the contrast between what he tells his his friend about himself and what he believes um and you know the the inner reality of what he really feels and then he you know has um, coffee with this woman that he's interested in and um, you know, I think we the reader can like sense that uh, he he wants to, you know, get closer to her but doesn't really know how. Um, and you know, then he goes to a tailor shop to pick up some trousers that he had given them for alteration, and he has a little like explosion in there <laughs> that I think is, uh, you know, both very much, very much like him. He does have a, a short temper. Um, but it's it's comic. You know, I, th- I think as soon as I realized that he was, uh, you know, um, slightly funny, um, that 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 kind of rounded him out. You know, he wasn't just tetchy and, um, you know, short-tempered and and rigid, but um, he was also funny. And I think, um, you know, when you're writing unlikable characters, it, uh, it it helps to have them be a little funny.
0: Yeah, I also felt like, you know, the moments like you described when he has the explosion at the tailor shop or, or, you know, when he sort of, you know, becomes cold to certain people, you can kind of feel that it comes from this like discomfort or, you know, an insecurity, like you said. And so, you know, it's very easy to sympathize with it, even though you're like, this isn't great behavior. (laughs) Right,
1: right. I mean, he's harmless. Um, Yes, absolutely. But he, yeah, he he certainly has his moments, Mm -hmm. I guess, as we all do. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, of course.
0: Yeah, I just really felt like uh, because he lives this life that is in these rituals and these routines and stuff, the stakes for like a small interaction feel very high for him because, you know, he's not flying jets anymore. You know, he's not doing these big, important things. And so these are the big, important things now.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's also, I think, like one of the things he's, uh, you know, coming to grips with is, I guess, um, you know, everybody does when, they, when they're when they in that stage of life is... Um, his relevance in the world, um, and you know, so he clings to the. He both he both clings to you know the the you know the achievements, the uh, the moments in his life that you know feel significant to him and feel you know he feels that others need to respect, um, as well as you know moments where he has his own. Uh, moments where he just feels incredible self-doubt about whether he really has done anything or, um, you know, lived up to, to his own ideals.
0: Yeah. I'm always interested in, in a writer's revision process. Cause I find revision so hard. <laughs> Would you tell us about revising this piece? Like how it's changed from the first draft?
1: Sure, um, I love revision. Um, for me, the first draft is what's painful. Um, you know, yeah, just transforming the blank page into, you know, sentences and paragraphs. Uh, but once something is down there, then um, you know that's the that's the material that that can be that can be worked with. Um, yeah, this, uh, this went through a lot of, um, through through many, many drafts. And I, I remember early on the first line of the story. I mean, most of my, my work tends to begin at the beginning. You know, I don't uh, usually write a scene in the middle that, uh, um, you know, and then, and then later write the beginning. Um, so the first line of this sort of went, Meant something like on the morning of the day he died, C.K. Rajkopal, da 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 da, and I, I, I it, it took me a few drafts to realize that that was just, um, not going to work. You know, first of all, that's the sort of line that suggests a novel and not a short story, um, and also it just felt, you know, so heavy-handed. And I think part of how I came to that realization was. Um, you know, getting to the end, I realized, you know, no, it doesn't make sense for this character to die. It's much more, um, reasonable and, um, moving. I think if he, if this is just a day in his life, you know, every, we, we know he's old. Um, so the end is not, you know, far off. Um, and, you know, he certainly entertains the possibility that, you know, the reality of his own, um, of his own demise. Uh, more at more places than one throughout the story. And so once I got rid of that uh, opening, it just gave the story this lightness that I was able to to lean into the the comedic element as well. Um, so that was uh, that, that was you know it may sound like a small change you know, just changing the opening line, but it really made me see the the story in a whole different way. Um, and then after it had been accepted at the common, um, I went through a few rounds of revision with Jen Acker and um, sh- her her feedback really helped me kind of um, fine-tune his his character you know making again making small but significant changes um, that portrayed his character you know the way the the, the way I wanted him to to come across um, so it just meant you know sort of um, toning down his outbursts in places, you know, adding um, some moments of reflection here and there. Um, you know, uh, again, leaning into what was what was already there, which was you know this um, constant contradiction between um, how he presents himself to the world and the way he thinks of himself and, you know the reality within. Um, And so, yeah, it was a matter of recognizing when that contradiction wasn't um, completely realized and, you know, putting it in there. Right.
0: Do you have any revision advice or or tricks and strategies that you you often turn to when you're revising stories?
1: Well, I mean, every story is so different. (laughs) I think uh, every... Uh, every story is you know its own universe, and the only rules that apply are the the rules that are created by the story. So um, yeah, I've, I, I, I you know I revised different pieces in different ways, depending on what they need. Um, so I, I I would say I, I don't know if I have like a single um, kind of revision process other than you know the standard work on something, put it away, and work on something else. Um, and then, you know, take the old thing out of the drawer and look at it again. Um, lately, what I've been doing is, um, you know, as soon as I have something that you know, I'm not too embarrassed to read aloud, I, I read aloud to my partner, who's also a writer and an editor. And it's it's really like sa- it saves me a lot of time because you know, reading something aloud, um, first of all, even if you know no one is uh, listening, I think just hearing your own work um, uh, and being conscious of an audience makes you alert to you know all kinds of problems that um, perhaps you know would, would have gone unacknowledged just reading silently. And um, but of course, I also have the the good fortune to, to read to someone who's a writer and an, and an editor. Um, and, you know, he tells me things that I can, you know, note down, um, right then and there. And even if I don't revise the piece immediately, um, I know that, uh, you know, what he's saying is, you know, makes total sense for the story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that's a great asset to have. <laughs> yes, and so, and he helps me get there faster than perhaps I would get there by myself. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah, I know um, uh, Jennifer Acker is a big proponent of, of reading your work aloud once you feel like it's in like a good space and it really can show you things you didn't realize about the piece. I, I read a few of your other stories online and, and I really enjoyed them. I especially loved The Footbridge, which is in Michigan Quarterly Review. Um, and it just had me wondering, like, do you usually find yourself writing stories set in India? Like, is that sort of common territory for you?
1: Oh, that's such an interesting question. Um well, uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm in this uh, stage in my writing where I am really now focusing on um, writing fiction set in America, which, you know, was not the case until um, until the, the start of the pandemic, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, 2021 um, was, uh, I'm sorry, 2020 was when I, you know, I've been thinking about writing this novel set in the U.S. for a while, and I didn't, uh, you know, start doing it until 2020. And it, I think, really represents a shift in my, um, in my fiction. But uh, the short story collection *Boomtown Girl*, you know, of which um, *The Footbridge* and *A Very Full Day* are a part, those stories are all set in Bangalore. It's the thing that holds the collection together. And um, I mean, I was really writing from a place of, you know, nostalgia almost, you know, I I, I wanted to capture Bangalore, not so much because, you know, I wasn't there anymore. Um, because I found that I, I'm i not really homesick. I've never been homesick for India, or for Bangalore, when I'm here in the US. Um, I'm just, you know, it's it's strange. I know that, you know, a lot of other most immigrants would, you know, describe um, feelings of nostalgia when when they're away from their home country. But for me, that's never been the case. When I'm most nostalgic is when I'm back there because it's so transformed. Um, you know, the place that I left is now, you know, unrecognizable. Um, so I wrote from a place of, you know, that sort of feeling, um, and the. The collection really, you know, sort of you know came together um, in the f- in the final stages of you know revision when I was revising the book as a whole. And um, I think it acquired a new sense of meaning for me because i i um, I have a three year old son now who is you know growing up in America. He's going to be um, American at least for the you know <laughs> foreseeable future. Um, and uh, you know I was able to see the collection as you know something for him. Um, you know, this is the, this is going to be his, um, uh, his way of knowing something about his motherland. Um, but it does also feel for me, uh, you know, like the end of a certain stage of my writing. I don't want to write about Bangalore in this way anymore. Um, and so yes, my, the the novel that I'm working on now is uh, very much set in Um, in America, in in Boston, to be more specific.
0: Uh, I love the idea of the story collection as something for your son. That's really nice. Um, And, uh, you know, as I said, when I was reading your bio, uh, the collection is coming out soon. It won the 2021 St. Lawrence Book Award, which is amazing. Um, I... I'm so curious about how a story collection comes together. Um, you know, just to hear you say earlier that you want you realize you hadn't written anyone who was elderly and you wanted to do that. Like, how do you, when, what's the process of putting a book together and how do you see what's missing or see what you're doing too much? You know, is that a point where you have to be like, these stories are too similar, you know?
1: Hmm. Um, well, I mean, starting out, I, You know, I couldn't think of writing anything set in America. I had made a few attempts and they were just, uh, you know, they just didn't work. Um, But the writing that was set in Bangalore just felt, you know, just more successful. Um, So that's when I think I had about, you know, two or three stories that I really liked um, at at that point. And so I was able to say, okay, well, what's the thing that holds these stories together? They're, They're all set in Bangalore. Okay, so I can write a few more. And then I'll have uh, um, a book, and they, they, I mean, there was enough, there were enough ideas um, that felt different enough, you know, from each other, um, that I didn't, uh, I, I wasn't faced with that, with that problem of, you know, having um, things feel too similar. There are three stories um, in the collection that strangely, and this was not in, intentional at all, it just ended up being this way, that feature um, uh, a white American woman and an Indian man. And, you know, at first, I you know, was thinking, Oh, these are not representative of the collection at all. Um, but once I had, you know, um, finished putting it all together, I realized, Oh, the, these three actually make an interesting trio, you know, within the larger book. Um, And, uh, you know, I did have, uh, I I do have quite a few, you know, young characters, um, children and, you know, young adults. And, uh, and part of it, part of that is just, you know, it it feels, um, um, you know, it's it's easier for me to uh, write about um, the experience of, you know, adolescence growing up in Bangalore, because that was when that was an experience that I myself had. Um, And generational clash, I think is, uh, you know, one of the themes that again, um, you know, it's hard to write about Bangalore without um, having that come up Um, clash between, you know, haves and have nots, you know, people who have money and and those who don't and, uh, and of course, between East and West.
0: In my reading, I, I also encountered a, a really wonderful essay that you published last year in Catapult, um, sort of about navigating divorce and learning to co-parent and, and all of this sort of during the pandemic. Uh, and, and the essay is sort of set during that time when we were first hearing about the vaccine and hoping it would solve everything very quickly. <laughs> all that time. I, I'm just curious, you know, you've, re- you've also written elsewhere about the pandemic too. So I'm curious what it feels like to write about something like the pandemic where what's current and how we're feeling changes so quickly. Um, I just sort of feel like I would have the urge to update it somehow, but of course it, you know, it doesn't need to be updated.
1: Well, I mean, it wouldn't make sense to update it just because, I mean, it's very much a a snapshot of, you know, that moment. Um, And I mean, it wasn't just a snapshot of that moment in the pandemic. It was a snapshot of uh, that moment in my son's development, um, you know, where he the the acquisition of language is just something that's so exciting to watch in a child. Um, So, I mean, that's where my, my focus really was. And, uh, you know, it's just been so fascinating to see how, you know, this thing that's so awful and strange to us is not any more strange to a child than everything else they encounter, you know? Um, So Yeah, he um, he doesn't object to wearing a mask any more than, you know, for him, it's like putting on a jacket (laughs) Um, and, you know, just uh, following his way of understanding the world around him and the world within him, you know, through language um, and, you know, the way other kids use language as well. Because um, they all, you know, they have different, different ideas and they're so, with creativity is, comes so easily to them. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so it was, it was really more about, um, about capturing that, that snapshot, you know, so I would never update it just because it's very much, you know, it's like preserved in amber, if you will. Um, and uh, the pandemic for me was actually a really... Um, it was, creative uh creative period um i it was a time of my life where you know all kinds of difficult transitions were happening and i really needed the world to stop and how many times you know do you want the world to stop and then it actually does stop <laughs> um so yes if that, if that could if that could have happened without all the suffering and depth, it would have been ideal but um it was uh it was. It was actually a you know very the twenty 2020, twenty 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 one um, were both very um, productive periods for me in terms of my writing.
0: Yeah, that's nice to hear. I have sort of been feeling the same, and then feeling bad about it because, I, yeah, I did just need things to quiet down for a little while, and I needed time to yeah turn inward and that kind of thing for for writing and stuff. And um, yeah, I wish those didn't have to be the circumstances, but it was productive. Yeah. So you teach creative writing to, to undergrads at, at Mass College of Art and Design, um, and you also teach at Grub Street. I'm sort of curious, what do you get excited about in your students' work? I wonder, like, is there generation doing things that, that excite you when you read them?
1: Um, well, I mean, the thing that I always find interesting about teaching is, um, you know, I on the first day I, you know, meet my students and I kind of make assumptions about them. And <laughs> most of the time those assumptions turn out to be wrong. Um, you know teaching always has that opportunity to, to surprise um, which is what keeps it interesting and um, the I'm teaching at mass College of Art and design right now um, I've never taught students who are primarily visual artists and that bit is um, is fascinating I mean they approach narrative in a whole Uh, a whole different way from, you know, what I'm used to. They don't approach stories necessarily through, you know, the lens of texts, but rather, you know, um, imagery and color and sound. Um, and so they're, they're wonderful storytellers. And I would say in terms of, you know, a generational thing, I see a lot of, um, fantasy and, uh, you know, works that are kind of serial in nature, um, and you know, that, I mean, that does make sense to me. Uh, just you know, given the the, the things that uh, that that we that we're exposed to, and you know, both in terms of you know, books and movies, and I mean, we live in the golden era of television. I think so. The idea of these like long um, narratives that never quite have to be finished and that have uh, you know the potential for all these spin-offs um is you know very much a part of their ethos yeah
0: that's really interesting i hadn't thought about that how that like the yeah, the television landscape is so completely different than it was when I was growing up and how that would change your idea of what makes a narrative or what makes a, a complete story. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah, And, uh, uh, you know, alternative realities, fantasies, um, that really seems to be the, the, the stuff that, that gets them excited, which, um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting because, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I enjoy sci-fi and, and fantasy too, but my my writing, so far at least, has always been, you know, very rooted in kind of realist tradition. Um, I like to make, uh, or, or the, the the thing that I find exciting is making the real slightly, you know, warped and in, um, in, in ways that are that are surprising. But I've never, you know, taken a full dive into into science fiction or fantasy. And for my students, that seems to be the the easiest thing to do.
0: Yeah, it does feel, it's like a sort of a natural mode for them. I think it's very interesting. My, my only experience is just, um, you know, the Common has undergrad interns. And so mm-hmm. I, I always notice what, you know, what they're reading and what they're enjoying. And it's, it's definitely, you know, like you say, it's more more fantasy, more sci-fi, yeah, less realism.
1: Yeah, and a lot of my students, uh, you know, are majors and feels like animation, say. So, um, yeah, they're certainly motivated by, you know, very, very strong, detailed, rich, you um, visual characters and settings
0: so you mentioned your novel always the last question we always ask everyone is just like what you're working on now so is it the novel are you working on other things
1: uh the novel yes Uh, so it's um it's an unusual uh kind of novel um it's um it's told through um, a series of conversations that the main character has with uh, you know various people that she encounters over the course of this mm-hmm. year, um, and you know I've never I've always you know sort of hewed quite closely to a traditional form um, when it comes to. Uh, when it comes to writing, I think all my the, all the stories in this collection are you know fairly traditional in terms of their structure i you know haven't really pushed any boundaries um, as far as the form of the short story um and I've never seen myself as a particularly experimental kind of writer but this novel sort of um, you know came out in this unusual form <laughs> um and yeah it's been it's been interesting and exciting to see something evolve that you know I wouldn't have um, thought I would. I wouldn't have thought I would gravitate towards this way of writing the novel, but it made it. It did make sense once once I had really gotten into it. Yeah, that sounds like such a cool form. Um, is this the first time you've written a novel? No, it's my second novel. It's so my first I novel. See. Um, was actually uh turned into a short story um, oh, okay. it's now part of the collection yeah mm-hmm. I would not uh, advise this as a way of writing a short story because <laughs> it took me you know four <laughs> years to write the novel um, and uh, you know then when it wasn't working as a novel i turned it I turned it into a short story which must have taken you know several months at least um, and I hope that I never have to do that again <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's my second novel, and uh, uh, I think you know it, it's. I used to think of myself as this very slow writer. I just always assumed that you know the average writer took um, an hour to write a sentence. So it would take me ten hours, um, and. Um, but these days I can write, I'm, I'm writing very fast, um, which, you know, I, 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 don't know what it means. It might mean that I, you know, was always writing stuff that was difficult for me because I was not writing the stuff that, um, you know, that would have been easy. I just didn't know where to look. Um, but yes, it is, uh, it's, it's very refreshing to be able to, um, able to write fast um and then you know soon after to be able to see what's what's working and what's not working and and make those changes yeah i was like i just think writing a novel
0: is you can just sink into it and every day when you return to it it, you're still you're doing the same thing you don't have to you know reinvent the wheel every time i find that very comforting after yeah after writing short stories which
1: are very difficult for me they are difficult yeah um And, yeah, I, get, I mean, the novel can, you know, just become become a world so that, that's so easy to to enter once once it's established and easy to stay in. Yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate that
0: about it. <laughs> Shuba Sunder, thanks so much for joining us. It's been really great to talk with you. Thank you for having me. Listeners, you can read Shuba's story a very full day and subscribe to the latest issue at thecommononline.org.